0: Well, good morning. It's great to be out with you all again this morning. I hope you're as excited as I am to study God's Word together this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. If you remember last week in the 9 a.m. session, I don't blame you if you don't, it's been a long week we talked a little bit about foolishness and wisdom. And while I didn't really intend on making that a two-part lesson, here we are with a lesson from 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to study a little bit more about foolishness and about wisdom here through the story of Abigail and Nabal. And I don't think this will be redundant, but rather I think this will be a helpful set of examples for us as we try to evaluate where we fall in this story. So in this section of 1 Samuel, David is on the run from King Saul. David is God's chosen king. He knows it. Many of the people know it. Saul himself knows it. And yet, Saul still has the throne and is actively persecuting David. David. In 1 Samuel 24 is where David has the first opportunity to kill Saul, and yet he refuses to kill the king. And in 1 Samuel 26, he'll get a second opportunity to kill Saul, and he'll refuse again. And so our story takes place right in the middle of those two narratives. And as we get into 1 Samuel 25, we see that while David is on the run, he and his men uh, settle near Carmel. And, they, and there, there they find shepherds. And the shepherds are employed by a man who lives a couple of miles away in a town called Maon. And that man's name is Nabal. Now, Nabal was a well off man, very wealthy. And David's men are hungry. I mean, they're, they're on the run, and they've been on the run for a while. So naturally, it seems like a really good idea to become friends with this wealthy man, right? Getting on Nabal's good side, getting in his good graces, certainly can't hurt. Maybe he'll replenish the supplies and help out the men. So David decides to take Nabal's shepherds under his wing, so to speak. He protects them. David's men provide for Nabal's men out of their own provisions. And then David waits. David waits until Nabal sends sheep shearers to Carmel. And David knows what sheep shearing means. I don't know whether it's from his own shepherding experience or from whether it's intel from Nabal's men. I don't really know. But David knows that sheep shearing means that there's a feast coming at Nabal's place. And as we've already established, David has 600 hungry men with him. And Nabal is a very wealthy man. So a feast seems like the perfect time to kind of buddy up with Nabal. And so that's what David tries to do. He sends 10 men and instructs them to say this. If you want to read with me, it's 1 Samuel 25, verses 6 through 8. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. And peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David." And what David's men said here was true. Verses 15 through 16, uh, one of Nabal's own men affirms that David's men protected them all day, every day. He says they were like a wall around them day and night. And so I think David's request is reasonable. Nabal is rich, and David and his men are fighting to survive. And a rich guy throwing a large feast, and it will be large. He owns thousands of sheep and goats. Nabal, by the law of Moses, would be compelled to give them what they needed. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we'll read verses 7 through 11. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be, and take care... Lest there be the unworthy thought in your heart, and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be the poor in the land. And therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in the land. You shall open wide your hand. Now, we can sit here and argue about when this passage applies. Uh, We can sit here and say, when do you have to give? Do you have to give to everyone? Who's your brother? What constitutes poor? And the Jews did all that. They debated passages like this until they lost all meaning. But I think that the intent of the law is clear. You give to the poor when you have an opportunity. And Nabal has an opportunity here, and he has the means to fulfill it and then some. And even more than that, since David's men helped his men, even if it was without Nabal's knowledge, he owes them some sort of payment, so Nabal is really bound here in two ways to help David and his men, by law and by reciprocity. So surely Nabal will send David's men with at least something. I mean, hey, David didn't even ask Nabal, please feed all 600 of my men. David just didn't even ask Nabal to open his hand wide, as Deuteronomy 15 says. Uh, far from it. In fact, if you look, David's men just asked for Whatever Nabal has at hand. Other translations say something like, Whatever your hand finds. Which is to say, David's asking for leftovers. David's asking for the excess. Give us whatever you have to spare. Don't take from your family or for your servant's portion. Just give us whatever the excess is. And there will be plenty of excess. Plus, David only sent 10 men. 10 men can't carry that much food. All Nabal really has to do here, all David's really asking is just send these 10 guys back with some scraps, with some leftovers, pay your debt, and move on. So surely that's what he'll do, right? Nabal will send the excess to David's men. Maybe he'll even throw in a little extra just to be nice. But there's a problem Nabal is not a very good man. In fact, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, back in 1 Samuel 25, if you look at verse 3, it calls him a man harsh and badly behaved. Nabal was a problem, both in his words and in his actions. He's, to borrow from the sermon last week, a fool. In fact, Nabal's very name means fool. I don't know how he acquired that name, but from everything we see in the narrative, he well deserved it. In verse 17, his own servants call him a worthless man. His wife will call him a worthless man later in the chapter. So this presents us with an opportunity. We can see a fool in action. We can learn from what a fool is going to do. So let's read Nabal's reaction in 1 Samuel 25 verses 10 and 11 and see how a fool reacts to others. And I think we have a little bit of an inkling of how this is going to go. So 1 Samuel 25, 10 and 11. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread And my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Uh Uh-oh. So Nabal, true to character, reacts in a harsh, unloving manner. Not only does he send David's men away empty-handed... The, the servant in verse 14 says that Nabal screamed at these men. Other translations say he shrieked at these men. He came at them with anger. He uses the political tension between David and Saul to his advantage. Degrading David. Saying that he doesn't even know who he is, which is almost certainly not true. Nabal even goes farther and accuses David and his men of being rebellious slaves, which is about as big of an insult as you can give. David, not only are you not worth being a king, but you're barely a person. You're a slave. But Nabal also acts selfishly. We don't know how much Nabal had at this feast. It's just not in the story. But we do know a few things. We know that he was an exceedingly wealthy man. And we know that he had enough abundance that it's called the feast of a king in verse 36. He feasted all day and all night, seemingly. And we know that he had enough abundance that his wife was later able to take enough provisions for David and his men without Nabal even noticing. And yet, he refuses to give David even the leftovers. Notice what he says. He says, I have killed this for my workers. This is my bread, this is my water, this is my meat. And you expect me to give it to you. And there's so many problems with that sentiment. I mean, first off, it seems that Nabal is feigning that this this feast is actually about his workers, when as you actually look at the description of the feast later in the chapter, it seems very much to be about himself. But secondly, Nabal seems to think that all of this is really his. It's his property. It's his handiwork. He has forgotten that it is God who has so blessed him. He has chosen to rely on himself instead of on God. He has chosen to do his will rather than God's. And there is nothing more foolish than that. So then David is left with a choice. Does he answer the fool or not answer the fool? And he chooses to answer the fool. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. And let's also read verses 21 through 22. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's reaction here is strong and it is harsh. He says, Nabal has acted unjustly towards me, which is a theme over the entire book of 1 Samuel, returning evil for good. And that's what Nabal has done here. It is inexcusable. And so David decides that he will enact justice. He will bring justice through violence and the sword. And it will be ugly. Nabal, his household, and all that he has will be put to the sword of David's judgment. And this is when we meet Abigail. Abigail. In this time of great crisis, Abigail is Nabal's wife. And while Nabal is said to be evil and foolish, Abigail is said to be wise or discerning. She's the polar opposite to Nabal in many ways. And the servants come to her and they tell her all that has happened. How Nabal has offended these good men and and that harm and judgment is coming. And this shouldn't be Abigail's problem. She did nothing to bring this on. She has every right to say, I'm going to let Nabal deal with that. I'm going to let Nabal handle his own business. But that's not what she does here. So what does Abigail do? Verse 18 says that she made haste. She realized that there was no time to waste and she got busy. She gets busy righting the wrongs of her husband. Where Nabal sent no food, she sends way more food than David even asks for. Hundreds of loaves of bread, five fully prepared sheep, and something like nine gallons of grain. And that's not even all the food she sent. She had to get the donkeys to carry all of this food. This is enough food to feed hundreds of men, She was abundantly generous. But she doesn't stop there. And she could have. She was well within her right to stop there. I mean, the debt is paid, and more so. David got what he was looking for, and more so. Justice has been served, we can say. Everyone should be able to go home. And yet Abigail goes further. She seeks to talk with David herself and plead her case before him. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and let's just read verses 23 through 31. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as navel. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, uh, bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall be, shall sl- he, he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And This is just incredible to me. I mean, this whole passage. Abigail takes the blame here, though this was no fault of her own. And she comes in humility, calling herself a servant. But even more so, she reminds David of all the good that God has done for him. Reminding him of the promise that had been given to David that he will be king or prince over Israel. Reminding David that God will fight his battles. Using the imagery of a sling, even I think to remind David of his Goliath story. Saying, David, God has saved you time and time again. Why don't you think he'll save you this time? Trust God's will and God's judgment. Don't seek your own revenge. Don't seek your own justice. And these words cut David to the heart. His bloodlust ceased. He praised Abigail for her wisdom and said, go up In peace to your house. And the next day, when Nabal hears of all of this, he collapses. Within two weeks, he was dead. Nabal's actions led to suffering and ultimately death, but Abigail's actions led to peace and to life. And then we're left to say what can we learn from this story? And I think it would be easy to ask, who are you? Are you Abigail or are you Nabal? Are you wise or are you the fool? But I think that that's hard in this story. In this narrative, Nabal and Abigail are sort of one-dimensional. Nabal is wrathful and he is evil and he is selfish. And Abigail is wise and humble and caring. It's almost hard to fully relate to either. But I think there is a person that we can relate to in this story, and that is David. You see, we've all been David in this story. David is faced with injustice. Nabal returned him evil for good. He really did. David was justified in feeling angry. He had been cheated, he had been humiliated, he had been insulted and now he doesn't even know where food is going to come from for his men. He knows that God's going to save him in the end because he knows God's promises, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do in the meantime. He's already dealt with everything from King Saul for so long, but this this kind of dishonor and humiliation is the last straw. And so he reacts. He decides that he will bring about justice himself. He acts rashly and harshly. Rashly and harshly. And does that sound like anyone else in this story to you? Because to me, that sounds like Nabal. Now, while Nabal did it for evil... And he did it for his own selfish reasons. And David is attempting to bring about good here. He's attempting to bring about justice. He's answering the fool, but he's doing it the fool's way. He's doing it on the fool's terms. He's becoming like the fool. Proverbs 26:4: Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him yourself. That's what David is doing here. And I think that we can understand that. We see injustice in the world around us. Maybe we see injustice being done to us. Maybe someone rips you off and and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Or maybe someone has hurt a loved one and it makes you angry. And that's okay. It's okay that it makes us angry. Injustice should bother us. And it's easy to say one day we're going to be with God and there will be no injustice ever again. But sometimes it's hard to feel that when you're surrounded with these problems. It's hard to wait for a justice that you will never fully see in this life. And so sometimes we take things one step further. We decide that we're going to bring justice down to earth ourselves. We get in fights. We do foolish things. We decide that we are going to bring justice. And maybe we do it in the name of God's justice, as David did here. We become like fools in order to try to fix the problems around us. And that's where David was. In a way, putting yourself in the place of God. Bringing judgment down to earth ourselves. And that's a bad place to be. But I think we all find ourselves there far too often. We find ourselves trying to bend God's will to our will instead of our will to God's. And then Abigail, in her wisdom, comes to David in a humble and caring way. But she still calls him out. She says, why are you ignoring the promises of God? Why are you ignoring what God has done for you? Why are you trying to bring justice yourself instead of letting God bring justice. And then David is at a crossroads, a crossroads that we have all been at countless times, and we will all be at countless more times. Do we choose the wisdom of Abigail or do we choose the folly of Nabal? Do we choose to trust in God, or do we try to choose to act as if we are God? Do we try to mold our will to God's, or do we try to ma- manipulate God into doing our will? David chose God's will. Verses 32 through 33. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. David chose to turn his back on his will and choose God's will. And God did bring about justice pretty immediately even. Nabal, who almost brought death and destruction on everyone through his folly is killed. And Abigail is granted peace and a new life as David's wife. David goes on as God's chosen. He chooses to let God work justice in the next chapter when he spares Saul's life again. And by the end of the book, Saul dies. And soon after, David becomes king. David made the right choice, but what choice will we make? As we've already seen, we have to make the same choice that David made here. Will we choose to model Abigail and David, to choose to rely on God's plan and rely on Him, to choose wisdom, to choose the way that brings peace and life and God's blessings? Or will we choose to model Nabal, to model foolishness? To choose our way and our wants over God. To choose the way that brings death and punishment. It's our choice, but I implore you, do not choose yourself. Choose God. And as we close this morning, I want to read part of Psalm 37. A psalm of David, a powerful psalm that I feel like fits very well in the story this morning, And for the sake of time, we're just going to read verses 5 through 11. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let us pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Father, help us to strive for your wisdom. Make our will and your will one. Not in that we seek to make your will fit our will, but that we commit our way to you and that we trust you to act. Help us to react to this world, not with undue rage or with foolish actions, but help us always keep you and your promises before us. Father, send us Abigail's wise people to keep us following you and help us repent and follow you when we see our errors. In your son's name we pray. Amen.